Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Wow. Excuse me. Hello. What'd you think of that? Nice job. Well, it took me a few minutes, but I put that together (laughs) briefly while I was while I was in the restroom. Listen, great job. I love our new show open. And we have an extraordinary week lined up with amazing guests. But before we go anywhere, I have to say, did anybody see the live White House conference with the President of the United States and members of our industry roundtable discussing what's on everybody's mind, which is, is it too soon to open or is it too late to not open? And mm-hmm. they went around the table and and we will later on this week have experts on to opine and comment on this. Uh, but I will tell you that there are legitimate groups on both sides of this issue, uh, including in Arizona, a group called Tucson, Tucson, Too Soon Tucson, uh, who says nobody should be open until the end of August. And then at the White House today, restaurateurs, including our friends at 11 Madison, Will Gadara, saying, you know, we've got to do the PPP, but we also need more. And um, Missy Robbins' partner was on, and um, we have to say kudos to the uh, industry for stepping up and representing. But like so many things around this COVID crisis, um, I think it raises more questions than it gives us answers. Well, there's a lot of questions. Can they afford to reopen? Can you afford to be in operation and only serve a few people a day? Because that's what's happening, right? Um, So, and obviously you can't afford that. I mean, it's going to take some fancy footwork. But let's save that for later in the show when we've got guys, experts. We've got a couple of really good, we've got some experts, right? Um, Two guys that I've known for probably over 20 years individually. Um, One, not so handsome. The other one's nice. (laughs) They're Um, both handsome. I happen to know. Oh, you do. Um, But they run, they run, I mean, Jimmy himself, I mean, he's the go-to guy for any health department. If you're opening a restaurant and you don't talk to Jimmy, and then you might as well not open your restaurant. And I've heard that from the top of the top of casinos to the bottom of the bottom of, I don't want to say, but gentlemen's clubs, right? Like Jimmy's, <laughs> been, Jimmy's been all over, right? And Mark is coming on, Mark Steele. He started a basically an institution. And he'll talk about that and how he's training. He's training everywhere from cleanliness to how to, how to operate. And he's been an operator 20 years. I've known him maybe even more. I mean, I've no, I mean, he's always been, but he's very professional. So we've got to button up when we talk to Mark. Jimmy, we can be a little more loose. But speaking of loose, I don't even know how to, you could introduce the next guy without using the word loose. Huh? Can we? You know what? I love our first guest this week. On this show today, we're going to welcome a longtime friend of both the Food and Beverage Magazine world and the Food and Wine Radio Network. 
Warren Bobro had first burst on the scene in the specialty food industry and then became very involved in the cocktail world. And that's where we first met. He was someone who approached the crafting of cocktails uh, with original uh, originality and respect for history. But somewhere along the line, he became a lightning rod for the future of our and every cultural industry when he became an expert on the topic of cannabis with the publication of his book, Cannabis Cocktails. He'd already established his credibility with apothecary cocktails, but it was moving forward with cannabis cocktails that he really began to find what we would arguably say is his mission, why he was put on this planet. And in this time, he's become the uh, vice editor at Forbes magazine, among other things. And he has a pivotal role in the burgeoning and emerging world of uh, plant medicines. And I have to say, it's really powerful stuff when you consider the impact this is going to have on the health and well-being and lives of people. I got to say, I've known Warren a long time. And when he became a member of the cannabis industry, he lost like 50 pounds and he just he just became more him. And can I, I bring him on? Can I bring him on? I mean, yeah. let's look at him. Can yes. we look at him? And I want to see his face as we discuss how fabulous he is, right? Let's everybody see. You know, he, look at this put up. There he is. There he is. I was going to say. But first off, I am not the editor at Vices. I'm only a contributor. Don't they'll, they'll fire me. I'm already on super secret probation. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. Don't make it harder on me, please. I apologize. But you have become for so many uh, really the most credible voice in a category that is emerging in a way, having to define itself, you know, the serious from the snake oil. And uh, well, right. you've done an I extraordinary mean, job of helping us learn the names of the people who really are the real deal. Well, I just want to see it done authentically. And I've made a lot of mistakes like everyone else. I mean, but I've, I have the benefit that in two days I'll turn 59 and I've used this, you know, cannabis drug uh, since I was 12. So you can say that I'm a Johnny come lately, but I'm older than most. So uh, go figure. So, you know, it's just who I am. So uh, talk a little bit about your awakening into the cannabis category. Uh, I mean, I it, it was, you know, it, it came to me in a dream that was precipitated by a trip to New Orleans. And I was down in New Orleans selling my book called uh, Bitters and Shrub Syrup Cocktails and doing a book signing at the pharmacy museum. And while I was at the pharmacy museum, I took a look around the room and saw different things that were going on and different exhibitions that were taking place. And one of them was cannabis in the early apothecary. So being an appreciator of history, and I started digging a little deeper, and I have a family background in pharmacology, uh, you know, over-the-counter pharmaceuticals, quote-unquote snake oil. My grandfather made a product called Geritol. And just for the record, I don't mean to correct you, Jennifer, but my last name is Bob Rowe, and it's always been mangled. So please forgive me for correcting you, but it's Bob Rowe instead Isn't of Isn't that Bob what Rowe. I said? No, it's okay. It, uh, <laughs> I've, I've heard it all. So this was a good one. <laughs> you'll hear it on the playback and you'll say, I oh, will. I apologize. 
um but no of course but i've but, known you a long time we're friends i mean people no, we course, really are legit friends and if i said it wrong i apologize i know and, and i got that and that's why i wanted to explain about the you know the the genesis of cannabis cocktails came right. from this uh this exhibition where they said in new orleans during the period of the 1800s the cannabis was used in the early apothecary and it was something that actually took place it's not something that i made up what i embellished is I took the classic recipes from the era and from a new era, and I added cannabis to it. So it was something very interesting. Maybe there wasn't anything that called attention to the use of cannabis in a Sazerac, but I created cannabis in a Sazerac. And I took uh, Ted Bro's absinthe and I put cannabis into it. So I took the bad boy of, of, of cocktail world, something that's gotten a really bad shake over the years, and turned it into something that really raised the bar and allowed me to make something like an absinthe frappe or a uh, or, or or any you know or, or anything even a milk punch and have enough you know THC in there to knock down a family of rhinoceroses but the reason wasn't a recreational one the reason was a health one because unfortunately when my father passed away he didn't leave me anything there was no money in the pocket to say that I have a fabulous lifestyle because of my father. But what he did leave me was glaucoma. So it allowed me to get a medical card here in, uh, in New Jersey to be able to participate in the medical cannabis program and to become truly the poster child for medical cannabis because my right eye was 48 and my left eye was 38. I think they take your driver's license when it gets to be 50. They never give it back. I mean, that would just suck. So I, uh, You're talking uh, about the interocular yeah, pressure. the interocular pressure. And right now I'm at 11 and 11. Wow. Because I'm in the cannabis program and I use medical cannabis. Like 14 or 15 is normal. So it's you're normal, yeah. than a young guy. Yeah. And I, so cannabis works. I mean, I can say that for me, for what I am afflicted with, it's made me below normal. I, I am playing, I, I have to play the devil's advocate and say yeah. that, uh, that I'm not a doctor. I can't represent myself as one. I should, I should learn from my grandfather's errors from, from making Geritol. Everyone had Geritol in their, in their medicine chest. Really all it was was whiskey, but you know, you can't tell anyone. I wish that you put something other than cannabis editor at Forbes magazine there that, that I am not an editor. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that is really important. Yeah, Michael, uh, okay. we'll take care of that. Trouble. Yeah, we don't want to do that. Contributor. No, really important stuff. Um, but really, at the end of the day, I, all I really had in mind was the healing side of it. And, you know, it's fun that, that I have friends that like to get stoned. And I love to get stoned. There's nothing wrong with it. But there is, is a, a greater reason for writing this book and for, uh, for doing what I've done in this world. And, and fortunately or unfortunately, it's taken me to the next place. And that place is here in front of you. And it gives me great pleasure to do that because I can share my passion with others. Let's talk about the fact that for so many people, food is also our first medicine. Mm -hmm. And cannabis found its way to our consciousness in the hospitality industry's experience. Mm -hmm. First, it seems, through the cocktails and your book. Uh, while it hasn't made it to the bar yet, and I don't see people serving cannabis cocktails in this country. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, yet. Um, but uh, I predict that that will be coming. It's important to note that, that edibles are 
emerging into the marketplace? Oh, in, in a massive way. And and especially, please forgive me for, for tapping in, but I think it's really important that edibles are only a small portion of what's about to happen. And the, what's about to happen is beverages. And I'm coming out with a product named after my gnome. His name is Klaus. I mean, I've taken him all over the world for the past you know, 20 years. So he's, he's a real thing. And then he's out there and, uh, it's a, it's a cannabis infused beverage. It's THC. And it's not a, one of these silly insipid seltzers. I mean, no one needs another Lacroix seltzer on the market or another Budweiser seltzer with, 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 you know, insipid fruit flavors and tons of sugar. I'm coming out with a craft mocktail in a can. Oh, it's wow. eight and three quarter ounces, and it has THC in it, and it's live resin. It's mango uh, train wreck is the strain. I'm using Pickett's spicy Great Britain style ginger beer syrup and a lime from France that I learned about while I was, you know, working in the cocktail business. And it comes in a, in a you know, a two point two uh, pound container. You know, it, it's a, whole, a kilogram container frozen it allows me to use these european products and it has two different types of bitters i'm using west indian orange bitters from the late joe fee who was a oh. dear personal friend of mine and i just had seen him in berlin when i was at the berlin bar convent and i have photographs of him and klaus together and it was very profound and then i also have uh gaz reagan's uh bitters in there which is you know so i try to pay homage to my friends and people who helped me go forward in, in my career. I, I cannot ever represent myself as being a, a bartender, but I'm an awfully good barback. <laughs> and, 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 and I work for and, Chris James, you know, I was a barback. So, yeah. I have to say, I, I'm really thrilled you mentioned the names of a couple of guys, uh, frankly, who are just gone way too soon, but particularly yeah. Joe Fee. He's, he's one of our contemporaries. He's oh, part of he, our he, generation. He was, he was younger uh, than I. Yeah. I've, you know, I'm about to be 59. I think he was 51. Yeah, it's really a shame. And Joe, there was no one in this world other than Rocky Yeh, who uh, who has also left us way too soon, uh, who lived the life like a, their lives like a diamond ring. And they truly shined and they shined exceptionally well in front of people when they were gathering people together. And I only learned, I, you know, I, I see bits and pieces of it because of the periphery where I am in the cocktail business. But I didn't realize how important it was until I went to Moscow. And when someone saw this, my employees only tattoo, and they saw it in Moscow at the place Chennaiya, and I was there teaching at the Moscow Bar Show. And I don't make any preference towards what my favorite spirit is or what my favorite drink is, but my favorite drink is usually the one that I haven't had yet. And my favorite place is employees only. And when I go, when I pulled up my sleeve and people in the know have seen this, it usually leads to a great conversation. So that, you know, that stuff is important to me. And even though I don't actively work in liquor or drink, it still has, you know, it still has a meaning and cannabis has its meaning too. I have no tattoos that are cannabis related. They're all from my bartending years, but, uh, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Yet. We'll see. Yet. Yes. Um, let's go back to your uh, beverage and talking about how cannabis yes. is going to be emerging in any and all realms of the hospitality, consumer packaged goods, branded goods, and uh, food and wine world. Well, um, it, in the it, future, 
Well, it has to right now because people are stuck in their houses and they're running into problems with their landlords where they usually would go outside, smoke a joint. But that puts they could do that. Everyone knows their business. So they've been staying in their homes and they've been smoking, but they've been pissing off their neighbors who are who don't want to smell cannabis, but they have to take their medicine. So what are they going to do? They can't always eat edibles. That's unpredictable. They need a predictable method to deliver their medicine in a way that's delicious. And fortunately, cocktails are something that's delicious. And it's also very pro-social. These you can sit around, you can have a cocktail with your friends, and no one is for the worse. No one knows your business. You know, it's not that you have to go outside to smoke pot because you can't smoke it inside because your neighbors will get upset. You're able to take your dose or whatever or whatever you want right. as classily as enjoying a carefully prepared craft mocktail. Do you foresee a time in the not too distant future when if we are going out, you could go to a place to imbibe in cannabis in some form where well, it will be blended, uh, crafted? You can now. You, you can do that now. Uh, I just got my uh, my incubator money. I'm coming out with 4,400 cans very, very soon in the in the coming weeks. This is this is going to become a reality. So and my reality with it is a perfectly prepared mocktail that is absolutely delicious that you can take to the beach or you can go hiking in the mountains. It's only eight and three quarter ounces. It's enough for two people to get blasted. It's live resins, so it hits in three minutes. It's the and real thing. The We're not talking you about CBD. What's, you know? what's the strain you chose for this? It's Bango Trainwreck is a uh, it's what they call uh, nanotechnology. It's built into nanotechnology by a company called Vertoza, and they have created the technology that allows the THC to be assimilated into whatever liquid is in is in present. You know, I'm not a scientist, so I, I'm probably you know looking like I'm a little bit uncomfortable talking about it, and I am because I don't know exactly how it works. All I know is I can build a, a drink and have it be completely delicious and and confident that my ingredients are, are the best that money can buy and have it be fun and make it so someone wants to come back and have another because they got completely wrecked on it. Well, they can. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about about the world where restaurants and bars have shut down for, for yeah. all intents and purposes, yeah. thinking about opening back up. Uh, but once things have opened back up, we're all sort of in agreement that the world will have shifted and changed significantly. Mm -hmm. Is part of how we reimagine the hospitality industry and the restaurant world must be inclusive of ideas like adding, if not edibles, some plant-based and, and plant medicine into cuisine? Or is it only going to be for specialized places? I mean, most restaurants, according to Michelin, if they have a bar, they if they want to get a Michelin star, they need to have a bar. Which, right. you know, alcohol, as we know, is a neurotoxin. Can you foresee a time when there would be as much ubiquity in the cannabis category? Uh, I'm, I'm almost afraid of that because there's always going to be the person out there who doesn't know the two words of liquor, and that's common sense. So they're going to push the envelope like what happened down in Charleston uh, to a famous chef's restaurant where someone got into an accident after work and someone was killed. Unfortunately, those situations uh, take place. I think if it ever took place with cannabis, it would be the last time it, cannabis was ever in a restaurant. Yeah. So I, I think that caution is the key. 
And as I said, I didn't write the book for recreational purposes, so I can't guide you from a bartending standpoint. I hope that bartenders have the good sense to keep cannabis at home. Uh, liquor licenses are extraordinarily expensive. I remember my late father had one back in the 80s, and it was worth a million dollars in the town that we live in. I mean, it's extraordinary. You can't imagine the trouble that you would be in with the with the ABC should you bring an infused beverage into a, uh, a, a situation where there's a liquor license. Right. I cannot recommend that at all. I think it's absolute stupidity. However, I do parties. I do private parties. I will, I'll never tell you where. I'll only tell you that I have done them, and I've done them all over the world. And people have had incredible experiences with top-shelf liquors. I'm doing a bottle of chartreuse right now. Chartreuse is that's $750 for a bottle. Wow. And it is absolutely the very best. Hey, Michael. Is it an antique chartreuse or is it a modern? It's, it's a modern chartreuse. It's, it would be even more expensive if I got it from my friends in England who deal in chartreuse from the 1950s and 60s. Then I have to build in my cost, which is approximately $1,000 a bottle. And so what you've done is you've infused that bottle with your... With THC, with cannabis. Warren Bobro is... I... Um one of my uh, favorite people to talk to on this topic, Michael. And I think it's really important to note, can we show his book one more time? I was because... just about to bring it up. There you go. There it is. Oh, oh, oh sorry. That... <laughs> I'm sorry, Warren. Hey, that's, that's Wiley. I know them. They're the best. That's my, that's my book, Food and Beverage yeah, Magazine's and I Guide your to publisher. Re... I love your publisher. Thank they're you. fabulous. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, they're amazing people to work with. Yes, and, yeah, uh, I know them well. Obviously, this book, it's coming out July 1st, so it'll be Barnes & Noble, Amazon, yeah. every bookstore in the world. You know, Wiley Publishing does not stop. So, they, Well, mine too. Mine is uh, Cordo. Cordo is right. like the world's biggest, and, or one of the world's biggest. Now they tend to eat up all these companies. I'll just take you a picture of that. So I have... That's, oh, oh, I can put great. it back. Yeah. Do you like that? <laughs> <Do> you <laughs> want me to put my, let me put mine back up, Warren, so you can get a better picture. Yeah, I don't want good. you to... Did you get that? You Food and Beverage Magazines. Well, you know, I even have your name. Let me get your name off of that. I don't want to give people the wrong idea. There we go. There we go, Warren. That's Food good. and Beverage Magazines Guide to Restaurant. Everything you ever wanted to know about opening a restaurant and how to be successful, Warren, right? You know how that yeah. works. Except for you have to take real estate out of the equation now. Yeah. Uh actually, you know, it's it's here's yours. But it's funny. We we did a lot of I really recommend second and third generation stuff, mm -hmm. but you need good guys like the guys that are coming up next to be able to make it work. That's right. You know, you, there's, there's a lot of potholes in the road, but let's talk about yours. So I saw Warren, when I looked for your book, mm -hmm. I don't want to say that I'm super impressed. I don't like to tell people that they impress me, right? Mm -hmm. Other than Jennifer. But he's impressive. He's a, well, this is at Target. Like, hello. His book <laughs> is at Target. And Bed Bath and & Beyond. And, and Bed Walmart. Bath and... Oh Walmart. God. What's that all about? Oh my God! How wealthy, Warren? How wealthy are you? No, Can we... it, 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 the publisher gets. I, I get. <laughs> I know what you get. Believe me, I get the same thing. Can I answer that or this? less? Can that I answer or less? This? Warren, yeah. Warren is the richest man I know. No, he is the happiest, spirit. loveliest, richest man I know. Only rich in no. spirit. Nice. Warren Bobro is is uh, the author, of course, of of Cannabis Cocktail. He's also somebody who's paying attention to the category. Warren, where are opportunities? Because there are so many. This is where the in France in the early apothecary. 
They love this. They love this stuff. They love this stuff. Authenticity is everything. They want to heal by natural means. And if you heal by natural means with alcohol, all the better. Because things like like Peychaud's bitters, I mean, we can't get much more French than that, even though it's from New Orleans. But still, it's the Creole influence, and it's the French influence. And if you spend any time in the south of France, you drink whiskey. And whiskey is is like, whiskey is it. People love whiskey. And they love craft cocktails. I mean, craft cocktails are everything. But the fact that I would take those craft cocktails, those carefully made products, and throw out a perfectly good career to work with weed. What's that all about? I, maybe that's it. Maybe that's addiction, Warren. Is that like yeah. you know letting your addiction lead you? Uh-huh. Yeah. Hey, let's get guilt of being of going to Bermuda as a kid. My parents finding weed and calling the police, so I get kicked out of the country. Jennifer, <laughs> I think I think. I met Warren, it must have been 10, 15 years ago, right, at a trade show, or first time we met, and he was talking about the cannabis, 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 and I'm like, whatever, this guy is nuts, there's no way this is ever going to be legal, why are you wasting your time with this, how are you going to eke out a living now, everybody, it's crazy. Bankrupt to, to, I went bankrupt, I lost everything. I'm trying to think what what booth you were at, somewhere, you were making cocktails. I was making cocktails. Yeah. But we were talking about cannabis, and I'm like, this guy is crazy. What a waste of time. How is what is going on? Yeah, he is not the, my he is not my role model. And then I now look what national, happened to the world. I was the national brand ambassador for Marussia Beverages right. uh, for Maison Rum, and I went all over the world for that. Yeah. But you know, cannabis didn't really fit the Russian image, even though I'm Russian, but still that didn't work. So I understand. Warren, you know, look, look what happened. You know, he, he's a he's a soothsayer. Mm-hmm. I, a, I was forward thinking. Very forward thinking. Mm-hmm. He was preaching. I wanted to create owl. something. You know, this is the first book on the topic. I'm not saying it's the best. It's the only one, but it's the first. So. If it's the only one, Warren, it's the best. Right now. That's right. I'm sorry, I'm going to go back. That is the Mastering the Art of French Cooking of Cannabis Cocktails and Cannabis Cookery Books. Well, he also has a degree from culinary school. Why don't we get into that a little bit about Warren, right? Uh, I never never completed my culinary school degree, but I did do the ACF apprenticeship, which is a I started as a dishwasher, which is even worse. I, I needed a job. I was in York Harbor, Maine. I had lost my job in New York City working in television as an engineer. Uh, went up my nose or something. I don't know. But I ended up in uh, York Harbor, Maine, and I needed a job. And I went to the little bed and breakfast. I said, I always wanted to be a chef. What do I do? And they said, we don't need any chefs. We don't even need a salad guy, but we need a pot scrubber. And for a year, I scrubbed pots and pans. And no, this is serious. This is where it came from. This is where my passion. I was raised in Europe as a rich kid, as as the grandson of the wealthiest people in the world. And I didn't know what I was going to be, but I knew I had to do something and I knew I had to make a difference in life. And I knew that the only way to do that was starting at the bottom. And I didn't, I scrubbed pots and pans and, and clean bathrooms. And I, I had a job in the winter time in Maine. No one has that. Yeah. Hey, uh, Warren, before we let you go, uh, we're here with Warren Bobro and, and as one of the world's leading experts on the topic of cannabis, um, Warren, the one thing everybody's going to have to get to know is their own self and the way cannabis 
makes them feel how their body reacts to it. It's profoundly helpful for so many. It's life changing well, for, me, yeah. for many. What advice can you give us about how to become self-aware and fluent in our cannabis experience so that we can optimize our not only health benefits, yeah. but overall health and happiness and flavor and uh, satisfaction and pleasure in the cannabis category, when in fact there are literally as many varietals and strains as wines in different spirits and different strengths. And just like we had to learn which wines taste best to us and you know which spirits to avoid, I try not to yeah. drink gin because it makes me mean and I love champagne for the happy tipsy. How do we become aware and how do we learn? Do you know what's really interesting? You know what I look to? I look to a place like this. This is a store in Oakland, and it's called Blunts and More. And when I was there at Blunts and More, they had customers who were that were in their 50s, 60s, you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s buying cannabis, being recommended towards products that would alleviate certain ills that they had to take them away from pharmacological medicines that were making them sick, opioids. Uh, there were people in there who were ex-heroin addicts. There were people in there who were trying to get away from alcohol. And people go to cannabis for all sorts of reasons. But I think the most important ones, for me at least, is to see people who are not necessarily younger than myself, because they're know-it-alls, but people who are older than myself, asking for, asking questions. Why do, you know, if people are in their 60s and 70s going to ask questions of someone at the, at the desk saying, I need help. How can you help me? That gives me great pause. And it gives me great anticipation that uh, that things aren't just going to your doctor and saying, Do you, give me a pill, doc, and not knowing that those pills are really killing them. When we first got introduced to the world of wonderful wine, mm -hmm. one of the best pieces of advice we would ever be given or give was find somebody who really understands your palate and what tastes good to you. And what trustworthy. So yeah. does that same hold true? Oh, absolutely. So yeah, how there, there are there's terroir. I mean, the the cannabis that's being grown in Sonoma and Mendocino has every bit of, of the terroir that we that we hunt for in wines from those regions. And we are drinking some of the some of the Santa Barbara Chardonnays, which are stony and 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 slick with salt. The the cannabis that's grown around there has those same aromas and the same terpenes. In fact, there are more terpenes, those are the, the volatile aromas in cannabis than there are in wines. So you're you're sipping wine and you're smoking weed and, it, and it's just a perfect world. It is not always the perfect world where you are in New Jersey or in New York or Tucson or wherever. But when you're in those places and you're enjoying those things, there's moments of brilliance. And cannabis, I think, brings it forward. Warren, how do we find somebody who will become our go-to trustworthy partner in and coach and teacher in the category the way we had to find a great um, local winemonger or merchant that we began to have a trusting relationship with? Um, what are the things that we need to look for and avoid when it comes uh, to choosing someone? The first thing that you need to avoid is the guy that's selling CBD at the gas station. 
Don't buy it. It's like day old sushi at the gas station. Don't buy the CBD at the gas station. Um, the second thing you need to avoid is get rich quick, multi-level marketing CBD scams. No one knows where the hemp is coming from unless you really are. I just uh, interviewed a guy from, uh, from Kentucky who's controlling the entire supply chain. And it's just brilliant stuff. And, and I really dig that because I can't at this point relate to what CBD is trying to achieve. But I just say, know, who, know your farmer, trust your farmer, trust the people. If you need advice, if you have a dispensary for medical, trust the person who's selling to you. They, they have your best interest at heart. Um, you could also ask me, I'm easily gotten in touch with, and they can get in touch with me through you or, or through my LinkedIn page or my Instagram, which is my name. And I'm very open with my book and, and my, you know, my story and it's not easy. And, you know, I, I lost everything to do this. So unless you're willing to make that sacrifice, you know, maybe you should work for the, you know, in the corporate world. So, Lauren, tell us the name of your new product that's coming out. Uh, it's called Klaus and Klaus Apothecare. And it's after named after my 1860s German drinking gnome named Klaus, who followed me all over the world and came to Russia and to Zurich and to, uh, to France and to Germany and all sorts of places, San Francisco, Chicago, Miami, everywhere. And when is that going to be launching? Uh, we just got the uh, incubator money from a, uh, a very well-placed incubator, and I'm working with a company in Sacramento named Space Station. We're using, we have the, uh, the, the live resin all ready to go. We're ready to go. I'm, I'm ready to make this happen. The food scientist has done their work, and uh, we're ready to do something. As the book has been the first thing ever done in the world, this is the first thing done ever done in the world, and it's not sweet. That's the key. It's not I, I love that you're using that um, spicy ginger backbone there. Yes, yes the Great Britain style from Pickett. Well, let's, let's get Warren back on when everything's together. Maybe well, before. I was going to take that one step further and offer him the opportunity to open the first commercial can right here live on the show when you're ready. Yeah. To While he's on the can. I, I would love to do the <laughs> can. It would have to be Elvis's can. <laughs> Um, but 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 seriously, I, I would I would love to. That would be a great thing to achieve because I have yet to put it in my hand. I I do have a picture of it, and I will send it to uh, to you, Jennifer, so you have it, or to you, Michael, so you have sure. a piece. I have right. I have we have a website that's not quite ready yet, but we have. Uh, I was able to do screenshots, and they look beautiful. It's it's going to blow you away. You I know, promise. Jen. Jen, you know where my mind is going right now? No. Oh, I like the way you answered that. Good answer. No. And I'm sure the guys backstage are waiting. Oh, Lord. Yeah. I'm thinking we, I think we need to get Warren and a couple of other colleagues and do an F&B Live special edition, special report on cannabis in the great. industry. Well, you know, and we can do that. All right, we got the guys backstage, Jennifer. We have to say goodbye to Warren. Warren, Barbara, thank you so much. Close the Go ahead. It was absolutely fantastic. And I'm going to send you those pictures so you have them. And uh, it's going to be all good. Thank you, Warren. We'll see you okay. soon, my friend. See you soon. Cheers. Thank Thank you. Wow. What do you think of that? Huh? I, huh? I love him. I've loved him a long time. He's you one of my crushes. He's a crush. He is. Now, now we're honest. really talking.
All right, let's uh shall we get Mr. Steele and Mr. Jimmy V on right yeah. now? So so when we heard that we could get these two next guests on the show, mm -hmm. I thought you were kind of yanking my chain because I understand the impactfulness of what they bring to our industry. And in a time like this, when literally one of the things in the top of the news today was a White House conference on what is the restaurant industry going to do, we have to go right to the source of the most credible information about what we should all be knowing and thinking about at this time. And I cannot tell you, there is not a more timely opportunity that we've been able to present to our, our audience and our readers than this. And I right. am- Super I mean, these guys, this should be a special report. That's how big this is. Well, this is a special report. This is our first it's, special report, I think. Well, I mean, it needs to be a special report. So let's bring them on. Let's bring Mark Steele, Jimmy V. Everybody's Hello. on. Hello, Hello. guys. What's how happening? Been, friends? Hello, old friends. How What's you going doing? on? I thought, is there going to be like a uh, breaking news on the bottom? Boy, you pumped us up yes. pretty good. That's yes. right. We do you have know, breaking news. And the breaking news is that people just don't understand the importance and severity of the impactfulness of this moment on our industry. If you've lost your job, it's pretty impactful. But that's not really the reason we wanted to have you guys on today, because you are going to talk to us about where we go next. Absolutely. Absolutely. And let me start by saying, first of all, and I know on speaking with Mark's behalf, we, and especially I can really say this from the heart, we really respect the food and beverage industry. Uh, it's the utmost, makes Vegas drive, and this is the main impact of what's going on is really affecting everyone. And we want to give something back to the industry, and that's why we combine services. Oh, that's why. Yeah, I was wondering. I'm like, I didn't even know these guys knew each other. <laughs> I said, we yeah, this competitive time, actually. I know, I'm just kidding. Of course, you know each other. We're old Bellagio guys. We started Bellagio back in the day. You know who yeah. used to work at Bellagio, Bellagio, don't you, Jennifer? Tony, <laughs> yeah. Tony, Tony. Tony Abuganum. Very good. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Blau. Uh huh. Yes. Grant McPherson. Yes. Uh, yes. Carrie Simon. Yes. Uh -huh. So now you can see the stock we come from. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Gentlemen, I, I want to I want to turn a little bit um, towards I don't want to say it's technical, but but there's a giant conversation taking a place across the entire planet about how we we feed our communities. And in the United States, one of the things that I found a little disappointing today in the president's um, is that is that Las Vegas wasn't more substantially represented, because as far as I'm concerned, Las Vegas is, right along with New York, the most important food city at this moment because there is no other city uniquely in this country where the entirety, pretty much, of the impact of the culture and the economics and every aspect of its existence is built around the food industry. Would you help us explain to people why and how Las Vegas is so important right at this moment as a food and beverage city. You want to take that one, Jimmy? Yeah, no problem. First of all, we are a transient city. And to start off with, I'm very happy that we are one of the lowest numbers of everything that's going on. And you know where I'm going with that. Um, 
it's unfortunately what has happened to us. Uh, it's affecting everyone, which we know. Um, we are under guidelines. We've always been under strict guidelines with the health code, which is a lot of respect for the Southern Nevada Health District. And um, the people coming in, it, it's actually, it's what we're going through right now is actually guest per, um, perception because they have to know that we're doing everything and the restaurants are doing everything to serve safe food and have uh, public safety for everyone that's involved. Go right ahead, Mark, add to it. Well, I was going to say, Jimmy, that, you know, uh, we kind of uh, started out by saying that Jimmy and I have known each other for a long time. We've seen Las Vegas go through a lot, a lot, a lot of phases from everything from family destination to a lot of theme restaurants to celebrity chefs, you know, to buffets. And it's just kind of gone through all kinds of different things. You know, we've, we've gone through 9-11. We've gone through October 1st. We've gone through 2007, 2008. And a lot of things are always changing and evolving, which is, which is amazing for us. But, you know, we're at the point that Jimmy and I, which we'll allude to later, is we have our both separate businesses that are restaurant adjacent. And we're both local guys at a lot of these restaurants and graduates of my school and people that Jimmy have trained are now out of work. They're struggling. They're not going to know if they're going to open up again. And this is not just a you know scary time for everywhere. It's a scary time for, for Las Vegas. I mean, I, I read something the other day that said a quarter to a third of restaurants will not open up. And these are our friends and colleagues and longtime people that Jimmy and I have known. So whatever we can do using our expertise, using local connections, um, we want to combine and we want to help as many people as we can out. Um, we've basically, in essence, combined our, you know, Jimmy's basically the, the top uh, health consultant in, in Nevada in his company. And he's on all the boards. He knows all the, all the state-of-the-art information that's coming out. Um, I have a school that teaches hospitality. And, you know, between all of our, um, between the, the knowledge that's coming out every single day, which is constantly evolving because it's constantly new, between our current uh, Nevada-approved materials that we have and our years of expertise, we've combined a couple and put three classes together that are basically one of a kind that Jimmy and I can't right. find anywhere else. And we are talking to people and, and out training people and passing along these so we can help our, our business thrive. Not Part just of the way we're survive, gonna... not survive, but thrive. Right. Uh, part of the way we're going to do that is having some kind of consensus that's a teachable consensus about a best practice. But I want to go back to something that you said a moment ago. And I think it's really important that we translate what you said because it's powerful. In fact, there are many restaurants that will not open up again. And it's important that we make sure people understand it's not just because they're not going to make enough money to do so anymore. Uh, this isn't about economics exclusively. There are lots of things that are going to cause restaurateurs who always put the guest first to say, until I can guarantee the safety of my guests, I cannot open back up. And I think it's a really important point to distinguish. Would you two address that for us? Because at the end of the day, every restaurateur I know is going to always put their guests and their employees first in terms of their health and safety. Absolutely. And it goes to having every employee trained and educated. Within my training, not only do I train on the Southern Nevada Health District A grade and I do mock inspections, all that, I have now included COVID-19 training within oh, wow. our program with, with our programs with Mark and I. And uh, we've done two already. 
And um, it's actually gone very, very well. We've got a very good reception from the, the participants in that. It was really excellent. We have a lot of, we, we enjoy what we do. And if what I was told by the owners of these different restaurants, when we do this training, it's so important to let the patrons know that they're getting it, uh, the training from experts. They're getting the training that's necessary to know that when they walk in, they see the masks on, they knew they see the gloves, they see proper hygienic practice of washing their hands. They see the glove changes, the mask changes. They know that they're trained. Again, it's the guest perception is what they have to go by right now, because unfortunately they really don't know what's going behind the scenes. So if they understand that there's experts that are conducting these trainings, it goes a long way for the owners. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit, uh, Jimmy, if you would, please, about how this is more than just keeping the hot foods hot and the cold foods cold, which was in those innocent days six months ago, the, one of the things that most <laughs> of us would have thought about when we thought about food safety. Absolutely. The most important factor right now is the proper hygienic practices. We have to make sure we wash our hands. Again, COVID-19, we have foodborne illnesses, especially the norovirus, uh, that's, that's contracted by person to person as well. Uh, very similar, but one's foodborne and one, of course, is contact surface. You have to wash your hands. Um, the, it's so important that the, when the health department comes out, just two days ago, we had a specialized webinar. And people were able to call in. Colleagues of mine set it up through me with, with me as well. And we all got our clients on the line. And the health department actually had their supervisors. And they had the manager. His name is Larry Rogers. He and we had a question and answer seminar. And he answered all the questions of the uh, restaurants. And the restaurants, it went very well. We even had people from California in on it because the information that was relayed to the industry was phenomenal. So when they when people come in, it's not only about the A grade that's on there. Of course, if you don't have the A grade, you have adverse publicity, but it's just a perception of seeing people do the right thing. Talk and about think, some uh, of the, go ahead. Sorry, Mark. Well, I was actually just going to kind of add, and I think that this is where our program is definitely going to differentiate between a lot of the other programs that might be out there and a lot of the other information is actually Jimmy, his experiences with the Southern Nevada Health District. I'm all about the service in the front of the house. And Jimmy already alluded to this, and as did you, is it's all going to be, you know, they're going to assume with an A grade on the wall that you're walking in and the kitchen is going to be fine and sound. And uh, customers, they can't see that back there. So now what is there a focus going to be turned on? People have been sitting around their houses for the past two months watching TV, watching new practices of what people should be doing in restaurants. So now all these people who didn't really focus ever on sanitation in the front of the house, those are the type of things that they're going to be looking for. Are we socially distanced uh, correctly? Are they handling my glasses? Who's touched my menu and my check presenter before me? And those are the, that's what Jimmy and I have combined forces on because his technical stuff and all the things as far as demerits and all the things that they should do best practice, they still stand to, stand to reason, but it's all the new things that a lot of customers are now going to be looking for whenever they come into the front of the house. And we're training people on how to handle the glassware correctly and the silverware and make sure that they're not giving cross-contamination between other, other, uh, other staff members and other customers. Are, are there certain uh, practices that have um, historically been uh, in the food and beverage industry 
that just automatically won't fly in the COVID reality of the future of the restaurant business? Are there some things that just we just have to stop doing? Yes. The number one factor, what a lot of people don't realize, the magnet, the most, <laughs> it's unreal when I tell you this, the item that we use every day has the most magnet of cross-contamination is your cell phone. Oh, and, wow. and a lot of people don't wow. realize that. You touch it, you touch it, nobody sanitize it. I mean, with not mentioning names, I go in grocery stores, you go online, they're doing everything correctly. They have social distancing. They have the excess on the floor every six feet. And then you go up and you pay. Do you ever see anybody sanitize that touchscreen? I never yeah. do. Okay, no. no matter where you go. But there's there, a little plastic sleeve over it that makes you feel like it's okay. Correct, correct. Perception, perception. But when you, it's just in all about, and this is all new for everybody. No disrespect to anybody. This is brand new. Okay. The health department is going to go out. They are going to do their inspections. On that call, I was able to ask uh, the uh, health department because we had to do pre-questions. And one of my questions is, because a lot of people get scared when the health department comes in and does inspections, they, they, they go ahead they go ahead and they conduct inspections and they bring three or four inspectors at once to train at the wrong times. If you're a breakfast facility, here they come at eight o'clock in the morning. If you're a dinner facility, here they come at six o'clock. I asked them during this time of the epidemic, we have restaurants that are going to be opening right now with limited staff. They don't have the funds, limited hours. Okay. They're already under the pressure of the new guidelines and already the Southern Nevada Health District regulations that are set right. for. So can you please limit that? They said, no problem. They're not going to train and, and educate and bring multiple inspectors until phase two. Now we don't know when phase two is going to happen, but there's going to be a lot of new things that are going into play. I think the biggest one, we all know about glove changes, the proper times. What about mask changes? Okay. If you treat it like gloves, you're okay. Okay. But you know, masks, what the health department's recommending is at intervals, different time frames. Uh, because, you know, if you, of course, if you cough in your mask, you've got to change it. But what do you have to do in between mask changes? You must wash your hands. And, and then we come up against, we don't have enough masks. So how do we, you know, how do you have that one mindset of scarcity uh, and that second mindset of thoroughness? Well, they said that you're allowed to use cloth masks, which means they can be laundered. They can be Lysoled. They allow that. So, Jimmy, do you foresee the let's just jump forward. We're now back up and running. Uh, do you now see uniform companies along with the uh, chef's clothes, chef shirts and aprons, tablecloths and napkins bundling up and sending sanitized uh, masks along with other cloth uh, items to the restaurants? I'll bet your bottoms to donuts that they're all going to have special standard standard operating procedures on that yeah, because yeah. nobody wants to have liability because you want to give even their customers, you want to give the customer, which is the food and beverage industry, the utmost cleanliness and sanitized mm -hmm. equipment. You're going to see a lot of changes. We were lucky enough last week to have the president of Tutner uh, USA on a company that specializes in um, uh, sterilization and autoclaves and sterilizing and packaging the equipment that dentists and surgeons use. Uh, one of the things he did during our interview is he held up a sterilized packet with a knife, fork, and spoon in it. Um, do you foresee those kinds of things being beneficial to the food industry of the future, the restaurant industry of the future? 
Yeah, as a matter of fact, I know that one of my major clients that I have actually had an infrared system put in their dining room. You have to go away for, uh, I think it's like 30 minutes, and the, the light goes around, the beam goes around, totally cleanses. I don't know how accurate that is yet because everything is brand new. Right. But, you know, there's also things that are out that may not be so efficient. We have to see how everything goes. But yeah, I do see that happening. I absolutely do see that happening with a lot of a lot of uh, cleanliness of the utensils. But the health department also, we have to go back to the rules and regulations that are set forth. As long as you have the equipment that's properly operating, they're at the right temperatures for wash, rinse, sanitizing, air dry, you will be okay with that too. Because the detergency, I mean, if you compare the norovirus and you compare the, the COVID-19, I mean, COVID-19 can be killed with, they say now, 409, Windex. When you go to the norovirus, you have to have a special chemical. And, huh. and it's, it's a lot of criteria coming in at once with everybody. And people Mark, are scared. Uh, Jimmy, I want to ask the two of you. Um, you pay a lot of attention to um, innovation and innovative ideas as they elevate the safety uh, experience for both operators and guests. Who would you say um, is doing a particularly good job, if, if you can point out? And, and what are some of the most um, inventive and interesting best practices that you've seen emerge from this crisis? Well, yeah, I mean, everything is kind of still new here, especially in Nevada. I'm sure it is all over the country, but here in Nevada, especially the governor basically turned everything on on uh, Thursday and was saying, OK, Saturday you can be up and, and operable. So a lot of people were kind of scrambling under the gun and a lot of our colleagues and friends we had a touch base with just to see if there's anything we can do to reach out to ask about your innovation. I saw um, a few people and I think, I believe MGM Raj is doing this. And I know Jimmy alluded to his, the dirty cell phones um, earlier, but menus are going to be a, a big yeah. deal. How many people yeah. are touching your menus? How Absolutely. many people are they being wiped down? Are they being sanitized correctly? Because if you can do the math at a restaurant's got 40 menus and they do 250 covers a night, you know, the math is going to tell you that somebody else has handled that or touched that somewhere along the dinner process at least five or six times for, uh, for the night. So, you know, doing paper menus, is that uh, is that feasible? Are you going to trim down the menu? Um, are you going to have a, you know, make guests feel nice and warm and fuzzy when they walk in and the menu stand is sanitized and unsanitized? Or I've seen, and this is your innovation question, is a lot of people are actually, you know, doing codes on your phone to where you can walk in, you know, you scan scan it on your phone, the, the uh, QRS, and then it just pops up and you can actually see the menu on your own phone. Okay. So those are some of the things that I think are going to be cool that are coming up. Also, you know, I think that also the uh, the credit cards and the way that people are handling cash is going to be a lot different. Also, some places are not cash anymore. And I've seen a, uh, a lot of articles and things spiking up as far as, you know, handheld uh, credit card readers that are actually going to the table. So the person doesn't have to leave it. It doesn't touch anyone else's hands. They bring it right over there. They tap it, they scan it, and then they're paid for and they're gone. Jimmy, Mark, um, when we talk about the sort of restaurant business of the future, as we get ready to open up, some places have already opened up. Um, and certainly we're talking about best practice from an operator standpoint. What can any of us do? Because at the end of the day, whether we work in the business or not, if we go out, we're a consumer and we are part of this. What can the consumer or guest do to improve the likelihood that they'll, they'll have a, a safer experience wherever they go? I feel right now you have to follow the guidelines that are set forth. 
do your social distancing, which is the six feet apart. Okay. Ensure uh, yourself with hand sanitizer, which is legal for the uh, the patrons, but not when you go into the food or beverage world because it's considered a chemical. So you have to make sure that you use your hand sanitizers. Uh, what a lot of uh, what we're learning right now, Mark and I, is a lot of restaurants are going to start when you walk in, the table will be empty, and then they'll bring the items to you, and what they and then they'll bring you the ketchups. Then they'll be everybody's going to prepackaged items. They want to try their best to minimize your handling or the uh, server, or even the back of the house people they're handling. In the kitchens, it's going to be pretty much the same thing because you can't separate the kitchen staff six feet apart. It's right. just not developed that way. And what they'll do is but they'll do their due diligence with this uh, pandemic and make sure that they they do what they have to do. They'll wear the gloves. They're, they're trained and educated that way. Uh, they do their proper hygienic practice. But I think the guests will actually, when they walk into a place, again, the perception. Of course, you look for the A grade because nobody wants to eat at a B or a C. Uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but you can go on your cell phone and you can download S Southern Nevada Health District A grades. And then you, when you stand, you hit the button, anywhere within a mile radius, all their inspections come up. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so you can do that. You That's know, it. so yeah. there's, there's a lot of things that are going to be done. Uh, the health department I know are doing their due diligence. They're on top of it. Um, you know, they're actually right now they're working the best they could also, you know, so yeah. we're all in it together. We're all in this together. And, you know, there've been practices that most of us have learned about in the last year or two, such as, you know, with an eye towards sustainability, um, metal straws, a uh, filling a growler, um, having your own growler that you refill, uh, at your favorite craft, uh, brewery place. Do you think there's any benefit to us bringing our own knife, fork, and spoon to a restaurant? Is there any benefit to us having our own metal straw? What are the kinds of things, what are the responsibilities should we as consumers take to make sure that if we're going out, we have those things under control? Are there are those, or is that just silliness? Well, it, I'm sorry, Mark, let me just jump in here because this falls right under the health code. No, no, go uh, ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Basically, what this is basically, if you bring in your own fork and knife, many restaurants may say no because it's a liability as far as risk assessment. Okay, because we don't know what, where is it from? What's the source? Where did it come? Was it washed? Was it not? Now I'm putting myself at liability, but it's a great idea. It's a great idea. Remember now with these, these curbsides, they're using plastic throwaway items. OK, but it's very hard to cut a steak with a, pla with a plastic knife. So there's a lot of steak places out there that are, are having issues. But everybody's doing what they have to do right now. I hope and I think it's going to happen sooner than later that we will get more openings and more flexibility in the kitchens. But again, it, it, it's it's got to be opened and it's got to be gradually opened. The way it's going, we'll see what happens. I'm not sure when the governor is going to make another change. I believe I was told Tuesday is going to be another when he comes on and says what he's doing next. And and that change means they're going to enhance or augment existing standards or shift or redefine. Well, everything well everything right now is a guideline. There are some mandated guidelines. Nothing's a regulation because again it has to go in front of the Board of Health, which I was on for a very long time. I was the secretary of the board and health. So I know how that works on that scene. It has to go in front of them. It has to go to the state. The state has to approve it. But we have to go by the governor's guidelines right now. 
And a lot of the guidelines that we're noticing are coming across is kind of vague for a lot of the restaurants. You know, it, it's kind of vague. It's gray area. It's said that he wants to do this, but then again, it may not work in this, this type of facility, but it'll work in the other facility. Like this is a personal thing for me. The pubs, the, I think they can control the flow of guests coming in more than a casino. But then again, it's all within the same philosophy. We all have to do the social distancing. We all have to follow the rules and regulations. I see a lot of changes to the regulations, most likely with this COVID in the future. But uh, right now, the health department actually is not going to be conducting inspections based on COVID-19. That's what was mentioned on the phone the other day. They're going to be basing their inspections on the normal health code regulations, and they'll go by the guidelines. They'll, they'll, yeah. they'll watch as it isn't a regulation. So you can add to that, Mark. You're on the same call. Yeah, no, no, definitely for sure. Well, one thing that I'm going to add is I actually have a friend of mine who lives in. Um, so to answer your original question, um, Jennifer, you know, I, I, I saw something the other day uh, that talked about how comfortable if all restaurants opened up right now, how comfortable would people feel going out if they had free reigns to do whatever they wanted to do. And even in our state right next to us, it was only 20 percent of people in California would feel more comfortable that would feel comfortable going to a restaurant all over again. And, you know, so that just stands to reason that there is a long hill uh, ahead of us and all kinds of things. Uh, you touched a little bit on the hot spot for me, too, which is sustainability. And one of the things that we've gone out and now we, we've really figured out a lot of the restaurants that can actually viably do uh, go service. And we've gotten a lot of go service. But what comes with it now is all the extra plastic that we're using. It drives me crazy to get styrofoam and also when I'm taking it home anyway. But, Jay, you know, exactly on the point that you're not able to be in your own um, plates or silverware or even cups to do a refillable thing at 7-Eleven or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a, and a friend of mine in California also who owns a security company was, we, we chatted the other day on the phone for about an hour and he was telling me that in order to enforce a lot of these social regulations that are going to be coming up, because things are going to start to get busier and, you know, bar, bar seating will be allowed and people can go and have a free for all drinks at the table that, some places up to your occupancy, you might actually be required to have a security or someone designated at the front to allow a certain amount of people in. So it's almost like a, a nightclub, somebody controlling occupancy. Now, you know, how much that is really- and, and Mark, I mean, the, the, when you start talking about that, all of a sudden, I may have half the seats in my restaurant, but if everybody's clustered at the front waiting to get in, it defeats the purpose. Well, Jennifer, Correct, yeah, what, about, and, what about the cost of all that for the rest for the small restaurant owner? How are they going to be able to handle it, right? Where there's the cost of the restaurant for us if our customers get sick? I mean, there's so many considerations mm -hmm. here. You know, guys, I can't thank you enough for coming and being on. What an honor it is and a privilege it is to have this conversation with you. Michael and I have said many times over the last weeks that we are in a very high-touch business during a no-touch time. And the conflicts that that raises are considerable. It has really been powerful to have you on with us trying to reconcile how we move forward in our high touch business during this no touch time. Thank you so much. No problem. And I just want to add one thing on the, on the, what I always have preached from day one before back in the Bellagio days all the way to now, my motto has always been, it's far better to be proactive rather than reactive. And we're all proactive and I'm very impressed what I see out there what all the food and beverage establishments, what everybody's doing. Hundreds of yep. questions Mark and I are getting. 
Definitely, definitely moving into a whole new next generation of service is what Jimmy and I like to say also. So, you know, if you'd like to see our programs and what we've come up with, you know, go ahead onto RH. It's on my website, not Jimmy's. So rhinstitute.com, rhinstitute.com, and go check it out. We have three programs that might be specific to guest retention, front of the house sanitation, even delivery service, plus Jimmy's and, and I services. So please check us right. out. And, and I want to also point out to everybody that's listening, whether you're an operator or a guest, that if all you've known is the restaurants of yesterday and the dining experience of your own personal history, and you're trying to imagine what that will look like in the new world of COVID-19 and half seats, et cetera, and you're not sure whether you're going to feel comfortable or not, you have to do this very simple thing, which is remember that this is a whole new world. You can't have the old expectations of what you used to know. And let's just have a little faith that maybe this time is a gift that will allow us to have an even better experience as both operators and guests waiting for us. Thanks to guys like Jimmy V and Mark Steele. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you guys. guys. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Ah, what about those guys, huh? Uh, I feel like I just went and got my master's degree. No, it's, listen, everything I wrote in my book about the health department is all because of Jimmy. Jimmy made me, he's, when I was starting out and he's like, they're your friends. They're your friends. They're your friends. They're there to help you. They're there. Bam, bam, bam. And it's everything you don't hear from most people in the restaurant. They're like, oh no, well, I just want to have more time with them. Well, they're going to come back on because I think we should do every couple of weeks, get an update from these guys. Right. And, and Mark has been in this business for so long front of the house that that's going to change so much coming up that it's going to be really interesting. Let him tell us what's going on. Right. Like we're watching the news and we're hearing things and we're going to talk to other restaurateurs. But these are guys that get paid by these restaurateurs. And obviously they're doing stuff for not for free right now because they want to get everybody up and moving because um, they're the experts. And it's like because if, if you together. If you ask Jimmy V a question, right? If you say, Jimmy, I need to get the, and you don't do what he recommends, I'm not going to say tells you, but if you don't do what he recommends, you're going to get a downgrade and it's only your fault for not listening to him. Right. And Mark has been in every line of service industry of everyone, casual all the way up to, right? To white tablecloth. Same thing. These guys, Mark's whole family's in the restaurant business, right? That He was raised in it. Right. Um and I've watched them operate, especially Mark, operate under some extreme conditions uh, with some different types of owners that most people couldn't work for. Um, and Mark knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> and he's done a great job, right? He's done a great – and Jimmy, he'll just walk away. No, I'm just kidding. Jimmy Jimmy knows everybody. If you ever bump into a health inspector in, in Las Vegas, you say – you tell them your friends Jimmy V, man, they'll buy you lunch. This is an incredible, right, these guys? So Listen, this is a- I am, I'm deeply grateful to them for coming and helping us benchmark where we should be thinking and how we should be thinking about all this without politics, without personal agenda. The only thing we share is the mission to welcome our guests, make everyone healthy, keep us healthy, welcome us back when the time is right. And when we do make sure that everyone is going to have the safest healthiest, most delicious experience possible. And in that shared mission, I have to say, Wow. How lucky are we that we had them on today? Tell me about tomorrow since you now we were supposed to be three days a week, Jennifer, and you're booking me every day. I don't know. I have no time for the magazines. Who look at you rubbing your hands. Who do we got on tomorrow, Jennifer? Tell everybody. Tell the world. 
All right. The one and only Elizabeth Blau from Blau and Associates, one of the world's leading hospitality industry consulting firms is going to be with us. And she is doing extraordinary things in the Las Vegas community and around the world, but in particular in Las Vegas, delivering with dignity. And uh, we're going to have a chance to talk about how you know, people who are leaders in their industries and innovators in their categories earn those names and those designations because they lead and they innovate. And so in a time when you need leadership, leaders step forward, people like Jimmy V, people like Elizabeth Blau, people who, when the moment arrives, they don't seek permission. They just know it is their duty to step up and serve and lead in the ways that they do. It's one of the many, many reasons why I am not only respectful of, but but really appreciative of everything that Elizabeth Blau does for our industry and what a privilege it is that we're gonna get to have her on with us tomorrow. Yes, and you know how she's been uh, instrumental in my career, you know, and my friendships. We, you know, we wrote about that in the book. We did a very, very nice uh, thank you to Elizabeth. So not only is she one of the most brilliant and, and I mean, she's brilliant. She's utterly brilliant. But at the end of the day, she is a great and legendary restaurateur because she knows how to delight her guests. And well, well more importantly, I've been watching her Instagram and, and I'm she makes me hungry. Like I, I didn't even know she had that in her. I don't even know that she I don't even think that as long as I've known her for 20 years, I don't even think she knew she had that in her. No, I mean, she's, a fabulous, is... she's a fabulous cook. She's a fabulous cook. Oh, she's married goodness. to a professional chef, and that's part of the basis of the success of Blau and Associates. But on her own, she has an impeccable palate. Uh, she has a great spirit and, and joy around welcoming guests and entertaining people. She's singularly one of the most generous people I know, and I can't wait all to right. chat with her. Well, let's but save it for tomorrow. But I have to say the whole week, we are loaded all week long this week with great guests. Yes, and I think I got about 20 emails just now for more, believe it or not. So can you do me one favor before no, we go out? Can I, I cannot. can we can we see our our uh, our uh, show open one more time? Can we close with that as well so that when we tell people go home, hug your kids and count your blessings that they can get if they came in in the middle of the show and they didn't see it, they can see what I'm very proud of you for creating. Well, what about this? I usually put this up to close the show. I know, but I like the video. It's it's brand new. All right, so let's close the show with that and say goodbye now, then, with the new one. This is our opener, so don't get confused. Is that what you're saying? It's our, it's our, it's our opener and our close because some people might join us midway. All right, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye, kids. <laughs>